Hey folks, I hope you enjoyed the rock deep dive last week with Fernando Perdomo. Epic hangs. Speaking of epic hangs and epic careers, wow. Jim Kimo West is on the show. Kimo to his friends. We're about to go over to his studio where he's going to plug in no less than four amazing and totally different guitars for you and demonstrate them. And of course, talk about his nearly four decades as lead guitar and sidekick and production partner with Weird Al Yankovic, one of my heroes. And he's also going to show you his transcendent fingerstyle steel string playing that won him a Grammy recently, including all his cool tunings and different approaches. And we'll also get deep into some Hawaii talk because he loves Hawaii. And he'll even tell you how to stay safe there when you're next to a wild ocean or a potentially dangerous waterfall. Interesting stuff that I didn't didn't even realize. And yeah, we go a little long on this episode today, but you know, don't miss the last four minutes, four or five minutes when he shows you the brilliant 251 from Hawaiian music and his take on it. Just transcendent stuff. This episode's brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. So yes, indeed, a wonderful hang. Having so much fun with Jim Kimo West that there's one point where we actually sound like we're ending the episode, but then... We just decide to keep going another half hour. Good times. I should also mention that at one point we discussed the use of a starting gun on stage as a prop or as a a, in a skit. Please know that this interview was recorded actually mere hours before the news came out about this tragic firearms mishap on the movie Rust while it was being filmed, starring Alec Baldwin in which a cinematographer was killed. I think we've all become more aware since reading about all that. At least I have. Yeah. Time to stop calling them prop guns. If they're actually guns, these are guns. These are firearms on the set of movies and they need to be treated with requisite respect. All right, let's fire up that chopper as we've been doing since 2015 and head over to Jim Kimo West's studio here in Los Angeles. Ladies and gentlemen, wow, we got Jim Kimo West here. Aloha. Aloha, Jim. Or as they'd say on Hawaii, Kimo. Beautiful version of Sleepwalk. Jim is one of these guys you have to have three brains to interview because... Well, for one, as you can tell, world-class finger stylist, Grammy award-winning finger stylist. Congratulations. Hey, mahalo. And that's your uh, your new album, More Guitar Stories. More Guitar Stories, yeah. It's not really a Hawaiian record, yeah. per se, but it's uh, more of a guitar record, and yeah, I was a total... Uh, yeah. I was totally flabbergasted, that's for sure. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. You're also an esteemed composer and producer and session cat. But also, as if that weren't enough, you're for almost four decades now the lead guitarist, and you're in all the videos and most of the albums on most of the albums with Weird Al Yankovic, one of my heroes. <laughs> yeah, so, it's amazing. I think we've been together almost as long as the Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, you guys really, uh, you and Al, have, I mean, 
that's a that's a real trifecta right there. You having these three different things, but right now we're looking at the most beautiful Taylor guitar. Now you were just showing me you have some special tuners installed on the headstock there. Yeah, I've got what they call Keith tuners. They're originally banjo tuners, and um, they were originally developed so that banjo players could change a string on their tuning. But you know, a lot of people use them as effects nowadays. So if I wanted, I could you know, I could take my high string, for example, or this string like the second string. I just have them on two strings, on the B and E string. I did have yeah. one on the low string, but it was a little, you know, I just found I wasn't using it so much. But there are people um, that have them on all six six keys, you know. Yeah, and listeners of this show who remember the Adrian Leg episode will remember tunes there you like go. this. Exactly. This is a beautiful Taylor guitar, right, underneath that? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty beat up, you know. You can see it's all, you know, it's got all kinds of cracks and dings from the TSA and the airlines. <laughs> I think my on my last tour, which was right before the pandemic, I was on the International Guitar Night Tour with uh, Mike Dawes and oh, yeah. um, Cenk Erdogan and Oli Soikoli. And our first week was in Alaska, you know, so the humidity there is like 0%. And uh, I think it developed quite a few more cracks after that. <laughs> yeah, I played there in at an event called... Instead of Burning Man, they called it Freezing Man. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. And it was cold walking from the hotel to the breakfast spot. Oh, my gosh. But it was beautiful. Saw some glaciers. But um, now you are known for, your, and I, this is really close to my heart, harmonics and open tunings, and there's no rules. Some people don't do open tunings. Some people do some of the established ones like Dad God mm -hmm. or Open D or Open G. And then others will just chase down a melody or a riff and change it the tuning whatever it takes to land that thing i feel like exactly you're... yeah i mean I, you know a lot of my records a lot of my songs are inspired um i get inspiration from finding a new tuning you know i'll have a new tuning and you know you can't go by your normal chord positions anymore so you're just letting your ear lead you you know so um many of my records are you'll see that there was one predominant tuning and that's the one that you know was most of the inspiration for the record. You know, I get inspired by finding a new tuning and finding all the possibilities. And, you know, and you get a different resonance, you know, there's a sort of different resonance, the way the guitar resonates. It's different for every tuning. So um, I find it really inspiring. And um, I that's how I write a lot of songs, you know. So what tuning are you in right now? In this um, right CG? now, I've well, for Sleepwalk, I was in what's called C6 Mauna Loa, which is C-G-E-G-A-E. -E. Let's hear it. Yeah, it's... Um, now, I actually maybe tuned down half a step because uh, right. I just grab, I just picked the guitar up and whatever I was playing last, I, so I may be a half step lower, but it's essentially um, G, I mean, sorry, C, G, E, G, A, E. So you got the sixth in there, which is, of course, great for Hawaiian music, you know. You know. You know, and like stuff like, but it's a it's a real handy tuning. But uh, the C family of tunings, one thing it's about uh, that's the same in all of them is that your your D string goes up to E. So that's always, you know, when you're doing a set, you're always like, I hope it doesn't break, you know, because you're, you're bringing that tension up instead of slacking it, you know. Now. Um, the other one that's real common is essentially the same tuning, except your second string goes up to C. So it would be C, 
uh, G E G C E. And that's, I find, a really beautiful tuning tune. Just real, real warm sounding. I think with the third down low, it kind of help, helps kind of give it a real nice resonant sound. Now, I understand that you fell in love with Hawaiian music maybe after your first trip to Hawaii, which was after already your first tour with Mr. Yankovic. Yes, uh huh. In like 85. But where did you start? So that means you must have already had a whole <laughs> lifetime of guitar before that. What made you yeah, pick up the you guitar? Know, well, um, I started playing guitar when I was about 12 because my older brother, I have an older brother who's 10 years older than me, and he, he had played a little guitar, and he had this beat-up guitar in the closet, and it had like two or three strings on it. And, you know, I started fiddling with it, and uh, he saw that I was interested, so he went out and got some strings and a book and a capo and picks and everything and set, hooked me up. And from that point on, I was just fascinated with it. Um, and, you know, every day after school, of course, it's a very common story with guitar players. <laughs> you know, you hear the same story. It's like, as soon as I got that guitar, it was that was it. You know, after school, every day, playing a guitar. And, Were you um, a rock kid or you know, well, Well, I started, my older brother was kind of a folky. You know, he played folk music. So the first stuff I started learning was kind of folk and finger picking, which was actually great because in slack key, that's what that's all about, your finger style, you know. So I started that, and then, um, but then, you know, I was, you know, I was getting into English rock and, you know, Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. So a couple, probably two or three years later, I had an electric guitar. I actually borrowed one from a friend of mine. I think it was a Mosewright Ventures model guitar. <laughs> and the only amp I had was this something that a friend of his made out of an old hot tube radio. I mean, it was, I think it was basically you're plugging into the phono input. So the only sound you could get was like heavy distortion and feedback, which I loved. <laughs> Absolutely. I used to have one of those little old, they're popular kind of these military PA system heads from like the oh, 50s. Yeah, yeah. Point to point wired, tube powered, the intercom systems or something, but they do yes. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you overdrive the input with the guitar and all of a sudden it's like power chords and, you know, so... But at the same time, I think I think shortly after that, I got a, um, well, I have one right here, a 66 Baseman. And you mean right there, right next to the 59 yeah, Deluxe? Yeah, 66 <laughs> Baseman, yeah. It's a, that's like a museum piece, that thing. It's like in perfect condition, like it's never been played. But anyway, I had one of those, and I think one of my first, the first guitar I ever bought for myself was a Telecaster, which I wish I had now. It was just a standard cream-colored Tele, but that was my first real rig when I started playing out and playing gig. I think I played my first gig when I was 16, my first paying gig. And I think I was using the Telecaster and that basement amp. And I, I, Wawa, I think I think that was it. That was my single chain. <laughs> and it was a great sound. <laughs> so how do you get to um, becoming a pro guitar player and playing with Mr. Yankovic? Well, you know, um, I, I grew up in Florida. I was actually born in Canada, but my family moved to Florida when I was really young. Um, so Florida is where I started playing music. And, you know, I started playing in rock bands as soon as I started getting paid to play gigs. It was like, you know, this art, college art uh, program that I was in, it was like not too interesting anymore. <laughs> it was like, I like playing rock and roll, you know. So um, I started playing in a lot of rock bands and some, some really good bands uh, in mm -hmm. Florida. And I, at a certain point, I um, was playing in a big club in Florida. Um, and it was like a house gig, and it was probably the best gig you could get in the state. You know, you just leave your stuff there, and and all the big rock stars, Frank Zappa would come in, and we'd, you know, I remember Frank 
took our, my phone number and the bass player's phone number down once and he never called me, but he called the bass player, actually. And you guys were doing cover tunes or something? <laughs> Mostly covers, yeah. yeah. A few originals, yeah. but it was a big, big fancy club. So all the, you know, it's a place where all the rock stars would come in when they had a night off. And what city was this? This was Tampa. And what was it called? It was called Robicontes. Uh-huh. A big, big club. So anyway, at a certain point, um, I had a chance to move to um, Los Angeles. Uh, Steve, the, the bass player, actually got you know, called by Zappa to audition, and um, he actually came out, and then he ended up staying, and he met a band that needed a guitar player, and he said, hey, these guys need a guitar player, and they got gigs, you know, why don't you come on out? So What era was that? That was early 80s, yeah. Cool. So I came out to um, L.A., and I think I was playing playing a gig like three nights later. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so it was nice. It was a, a nice way to move here um, because I had work, you know. It wasn't like yeah. I had to just scuffle for a long time, but I so I came out with it with work and um, not much longer. Uh, Steve, the bass player, had um, he had met Weird Al. I think somehow he uh, got the job to play on Al's very first album when Al got his first record deal, the Scotty Brothers, and he was Al wanted to play some gigs and put a band together. So he, uh, I basically auditioned for the gig, you know, and I learned some of these tunes and some of the tunes that Al had made, I mean, I don't know if they were, I think they're made on his Porta studio or something, some of these demos, but there was some great guitar player on there, guitar playing on there because uh, the drummer's brother is Richard Bennett, who plays with Mark Knopfler and lives in Nashville yeah. nowadays. He used to play with Neil Diamond. Um, there was some, you know, I was like, oh, there's some tasty guitar on there. So anyway, um, you know, I got the job, which was, I didn't know, it was like, wow, this guy that plays accordion, but he's got some gigs, you know? <laughs> so this is before he was even, like, super famous. Yeah, yeah. He was. He had a sort of a cult following because of the Dr. Demento show, you know? Yeah, I remember listening to mm-hmm. that. And, <laughs> but then, you know, he, you know, MTV was in its infancy right then, too. So shortly after that, um, he made a video, and it started getting played on MTV. Which one was that, another it was one? It's called Ricky. Oh. It was... It was um, a parody of Mickey. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. It was about Ricky and Lucy, you know. <laughs> I was just listening to some of that today. Just the, the, you start the more you listen to a bunch of weird, you just start cracking up. I know. You know, after that, all your all the other con- concerts aren't. You know, they're not funny. It's like this was good, but it's not funny. <laughs> but anyway, so after um, you know, at that point, there were just a few little gigs here and there, and then um, we did a little, a couple of little tours, very small tours. I think we did them with Doctor Demento as the opening act. You know, I mean, as the main act. Some little, you know, station wagon, you know, tours, things like yeah. that. Um, but then the next record um, had the hit Eat It. Yeah. And um, at that point, Rick Derringer was producing the records, you know. So mm-hmm. on that on that album, it was called In 3D. It, it really blew up because that video just blew up on, on MTV. Now, it's I didn't, still hilarious yeah, to this day. And I, I um, you know, on that record, since Rick was producing, you know, he actually played all the solos on that record, so I didn't play the Eat It solo, although I did learn it and sort of yeah. showed it to him, you know, and said, well, this is how it goes, and he took it from there, but but um, I did play all the, oh, yeah. you know, the rhythm parts on that record. But well, I, You're the consummate professional, too. There's a story about how you, uh, the Money for Nothing one, oh, the parody, yeah, you yeah. did the demo, and then Mark Knopfler came in and actually did it, which is, <laughs> yeah. what an honor to have him. Yeah, you know, I, I, I sort of, um, on Money for Nothing, um, you know, it was a strange, one of Al's things he does sometimes where he takes a, a famous song and he just puts the lyrics to a different song against it. So he took the lyrics to the Beverly Hillbillies theme and put That's, it to money for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
So I had learned the part. It's a fingerstyle part, you know, because Mark plays fingerstyle. Yeah. So it's got, it's essentially um, a Les Paul through, you know, probably a Marshall or something with a wah-wah. And it's like that fixed wah-wah sound where you find that yeah, notch, yeah. you know, and then you just, you know, play it yeah. all fingerstyle. And you're not um, in the tuning right now, I know. But, <laughs> but um, it's a cool, um, yeah, I could plug that other guitar in and show you. But anyway, the... Um, you know, I learned it, and I learned it just like the record. And then, you know, Mark, they said, well, Mark Knopfler is going to offer to play it. And it's like, well, that's great. You know, it's it's super cool. His name will be on the album and everything. But then he sort of played a little differently than, the, the you know, because probably, you know, playing it live, you know how it is. You learn something, and then yeah. it, your parts sort of morph a bit. So it was a little different than my part, you know. But but he really, I mean, it was awesome to have him on the record. Well, the Weird Al story is so epic that I think we should just kind of come back to it from time to time. Let's yeah. go back to it now. <laughs> Like I said, you do. You have so many um, different aspects. Maybe would you want to play something? Are you are you ready to play? Maybe are you in the right tuning to play something from your Grammy-winning album, <laughs> more guitars, or anything well, you want? Yeah, you know, um, I'll tell you what I'll do is. Um, let's see, I'm in C here. I can, or even just part of a tune, or something. yeah, yeah. You know, um, thinking what I might play is, um, and a little thing. Um, this is one from my Slack Key West uh, CD. Since I'm in this C6 tuning, it's, um, I hope I remember it. It's called The White Rain. And in, in Hawaii, there's a, um, they have a, especially out in Hanaraigo, they have a, what they call uakea, which means white rain. It's like a very misty, super fine rain that falls sometimes, and sometimes when the, the sun is shining even. So I'll play a little bit of that.
beautiful. What tuning is that? We can hear the open strings. Yeah, it's um, C G E G A E. But I guess like I said I might be a half step down. So, right, right. <laughs> but essentially that's it. G A G um, C G E G A E. So that's a six. They call it, in Hawaii. They call it C six Mauna Loa. So it's a really evocative tuning. Really nice, um, nice one to play around with. And uh, beautiful song. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I haven't played that for a while. I'm so happy I got through it. <laughs> it was like. Do you ever freak out bank tellers with your uh, right-hand thumbnail? <laughs> yeah, I get a lot of comments. It's actually shorter than it has been. Sometimes I, I forget and let it grow too long, and people are like, what is up with that thumb, you know? So it's the, that's the real nail? No, I use oh. acrylics. So I, what I do is I go, um, my, my nails are just not strong enough, you know? So I, if I had reg my regular nails, one would break, and then I'd have a, you know, it's just a drag when you're playing a show and you're missing a nail. But So I just go to the nail salon and get these acrylics. They're a little bit long right now. I should have them back a bit, but... Um, if someone's never done that before, what should they ask for? Well, you know, I basically just get them on my thumb and my three first three fingers of, of my right hand. And um, it's really, you know, you're not really asking for much, but you want them rounded as opposed to... Because a lot of nail salons with flat, you know, they do like a lot of women have oh, yeah. flat nails and know? sometimes now they're doing like these uh dragon talents i know <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> you know dennis kamikaze was a famous slack key player and he used to be he had acrylics but man his were like three quarters of an inch long i mean i don't know how he played like that but but i what i like is these are a little bit too long so i like them a little bit shorter and i generally file them a little bit um on my finger i, I file them a little bit on the left side a little more and and yeah. the reason is is that by changing the angle of your hand if I change my angle this way, I get more of a flush sound, right? Right. I get this sound. Oh, yeah. And if I change the angle, then I get the bright nail sound, you know? So you go between that and this just by changing yeah. the angle of your just hand. Just by kind of know? angling your fingers towards exactly, the bridge. Exactly, right. You, so um, it, that's kind of a neat trick, you know? So usually when I'm getting them really in shape, I file them a little bit on the left side of the finger. But there's not like a certain type or brand or anything? No, it's just acrylic nails, you know. I mean, maybe there are some other options, but I've just been using the same thing. And no new old stock or anything? Like <laughs> <that>? <laughs> yeah, I just go to the nail salon, and they know what to do. They've seen me enough times. and so they. But the thumbnail, I do, you know, I really love the sound of a thumb pick, and I've just never really been able to really sink into that, you know, that kind of Travis picking thing. To, yeah. I mean, I... I I totally get it, but it's just, I, I always feel a little bit of a disconnect with, with finger picks, you know? Yeah. So um, I decided to go, you know, some other slack key players would have these big long thumbnails. And, you know, it's the same thing. A lot of times I get a soft sound by playing, you know, on the side yeah. of the nail. And then if I really want to dig in. I guess for me, I'm just surprised that you seriously got like a half an inch of extra nail. Like I'm surprised that it's that useful or that it doesn't get in the way being that long there. Yeah, it's pro I could probably use it a little shorter, but for some reason, I don't know. It's just a lot of times when I'm using it, I'm, I'm using the side of it Yeah. less than I am the, you know, like that. It's more of like a change from yeah. this to to this, you know. No. But, um, but it, it's, you know, I like the sound of the acrylic. You know, it's a funny story, actually, the... Um, a friend, another guitar player, a friend of mine, said, "Oh, you should try these acrylics, you know, because he was using them." I was like, "Oh, I don't want to go to the nail salon." So he came over one day and he had a gift certificate 
He said, I've got, here's a gift certificate for the nail salon. We're going to go, and we're going to get our nails yeah. done. And it was the weirdest thing, because we walked in there, and all these ladies were getting pedicures and everything. Yeah. And it was like, okay. So anyway, I, you know, I got home, and I started playing. And after a while, I was like, man, I really like the sound of this. It sounds really good. <laughs> By golly, he was right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was going to show you this Moog guitar at some point. Have you ever played one of those? It's not a synth. It's a... Uh, a Moog M O O G guitar, yeah. really? Yeah. Well, it's it's essentially it's that's that black one right over your shoulder there. Cool. Yeah, <clears> I what remember. it is, it's not a synthesizer, even though it was marketed by Moog. It's um, it's essentially the concept of like an Ebo. So it's got two magnets that are built yeah. into the guitar, so it completely sustains endlessly. You know. I know. I was wondering. I, I heard that in one of your your songs. Like, is it Moonbow? Maybe or you know, Moonbow is a similar thing. On Moonbow, even though I do use the, use the Moog, I usually use it for like pads. But on Moonbow, that's um, a, an actual Ebo with a slide, yeah, on, and, a, on a, like a Dobro. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's like it's not an electric guitar. Yeah, it yeah, really it's good. an acoustic. So I like to use Ebos on acoustics, you know, which is a cool, cool sound, you know. Um, that's a, yeah, it's cool. I don't yeah, I've, I've been, really you know, that. I have a few sort of signature trick things I've been using for years on a lot of records. And, and what about on, if I can say it correctly, Paniolo Starlight? Paniolo Starlight, yeah. Is there like a, there's almost like a whammy effect on a background guitar. Yeah, that is, um, that's this thing. It's, so. it's called a Morpheus pedal. So it's like a whammy, except that it, it, you can do chords with it. And, you know, you can, um, I use it a lot. It's a really cool, another kind of secret weapon. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's, you can set it to different intervals, just like a whammy. But, but I can plug my acoustic into it and basically play a whole chord and it'll whammy the whole thing either up an octave or a second or fourth whatever you've got it set to and i yeah. um one one sound i really like is miking the guitar like an acoustic and yeah. then taking the direct out and going into that pedal and then maybe set it to a second below or something you strum the chord so you've got your regular the guitar on the mic is playing yep. the regular chord and then the the pedal what's coming out of that is a is a step below and then you bring it up to pitch you know and it's just like oh, well, what is that sweet effect <laughs> that sounds really yeah good. yeah really it's cool. fun playing with and then you know the um, we were talking about steel guitars and I you know I, I have a bunch of steel guitars even though I don't I'm not a real expert on them but I steel guitar actually came from slack key what happened in the late eighteen hundreds there was a guy named Joseph K Kuku um, who was a Kamehameha school dropout i think he accidentally discovered he has guitar you know tuned in an open tuning and he discovered accidentally that he could play it with a piece of metal i think it was just an accident I and mean, he yeah. figured out he could put it on his lap and play well they said that a lot of the guitars that came to hawaii with the necks didn't have truss rods right and they would get bowed and you have this ridiculously mm -hmm. high action yeah right exactly so he would um he figured out this style and he what he did was he he figured out he could raise the nut up and then he he went to the machine shop and try different shapes of bars. So he invented this whole style and it caught on big time. And then when all these little Hawaiian trios started touring the mainland in the 20s, they'd all have a, they called it Hawaiian guitar then, they all have a steel guitar player. And that influenced a lot of people on the mainland. And there's even some evidence that some of the blues guys in the South were so enthralled by that sound that they started playing the bottleneck style, you know. Um, certainly in India, you know, there was a, a group, a uh, family called the Talmoy family, and they, they traveled the world, played everywhere in the world. They're, that was their whole life. And they sp yeah. spent years in India. And now there's a whole thing of Hindustani slide guitar because of Talmoy family went to 
went to India, and they all revere him as like the father of, of the whole thing Amazing. over there. So do you think that pedal steel guitar is there for a, the most advanced in terms of mechanical mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. mechanical discussion here mm-hmm. is a direct descendant as well, I guess. Yeah, of course, yeah. So basically, um, originally steel guitar was just a regular guitar played with a piece of steel, acoustic guitar. Eventually, um, when they got incorporated into bands, you know, of course, the guitar wasn't very loud. So the Dopiera brothers came up with the resonator guitar, like the Nationals, you know, mm-hmm. that helped a little bit. So a lot of these guys were using those. Then in the early 30s, you had your very first electric instruments, which were steel guitars. Rickenbacker came out with the fry pan and things that. in the early 30s. And they were the first guitar with a pickup, you know. And so with with steel guitar, to get different chords, you know, you have your basic chord you're tuned to, but to get different chords, you have to slant the bar. Mm-hmm. And it's very tricky to slant, you know, to get your chords in tune. So you're getting two or three yeah. notes by slanting the bar. So I think at some point, um, years later, when electric steel guitar got incorporated into like western swing bands for example those guys were fantastic and could do all those bar slants but then somebody realized that you know hey why not uh let's say if i figured out a way to bend that string without having to slant the bar you know then it makes it much easier and then of course opens up a whole other world of um of of sounds with the with the pedal steel you know so most pedal steel players you'll see they rarely ever slant the bar because right. they're using the pedals for it they're using and their um, knees and their ankles and their exactly <laughs> and speaking of which i just had um a friend of mine over if i can play it for you if yeah. you know a little bit i, I i've greg do you know who greg lease is he's a famous steel player a good friend of mine um never, and never met him and I'm, I'm working on a record right now who um he's played there he's on tour with jackson brown right now i hate to say it but you should probably talk in the mic yeah greg is um uh out on tour with jackson brown i believe at the moment but he came over um before the tour i think while he was rehearsing he was rehearsing down in burbank so he came over and did record on a couple tracks for me but i'll just play a little bit of this uh, work in progress sweet track here that um has has greg playing on it you see here this for like your 10th studio album or something? <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, so that's, you know, the kind of stuff you can do with with pedal steel, you know, that you could never do with a lap steel. But Greg's a master, and he's, you know, played with everybody, and Clapton and John Mayer and Joni Mitchell and Bill Forsell. He plays a lot with Bill Forsell. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's kind of a record I'm working on. It's sort of a spacey Americana record. So you recorded, uh, you, you record most of your albums right in this room here? Yep. And, and that's yeah. amazing that you pulled a Grammy out of this room. <laughs> How did you do it? <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I love recording at home, of course, because, I mean, I can sort of act as engineer and producer and guitarist all at the same time. And, you know, it's, it doesn't cost me anything. I mean, I'm here, but, you know, I can take as long as I want on something. I used to record my guitar out in the living room because everything made so much noise here, you know, the hard drives and fans and yeah. everything. So I would 
bring mics out into the living room and figure out a way to control it from out there. But when I redesigned my studio, I got made sure that it, there was nothing that made any noise. Nothing has any fans. You can yeah. hear a little noise because the axe effects is on, but that's just, you know, normally that wouldn't be on. But um, so there's no, you know, I mean, of course I get planes and neighbor's dog yeah. and stuff like that, but I don't have any, you know, hum. Oh, yeah. So I can sit, you know, I set mics up right here, one there and one there. And I can just face my workstation and record under the yeah. headphones and get a, you know, get a nice sound. Um, I've got a lot of nice microphones and over the years, nice, you know, Neve preamps and APIs and a bunch of, you know, vintage type gear. And, you know, so I, yeah. I always try and have some kind of um, tube element in, in there. It just kind of brings, makes the thing, makes the guitar sound more resonant or something. And it looks like you have a... That that pickup didn't come with the Taylor, right? No, this is um, a Fishman Rare Earth. So what I've got, um, like on the last International Guitar Night Tour, I took this guitar and I also, so I have two outputs. So I have the, the Fishman, right now this is the Taylor output. Um, so what I would do, I would run that one direct to the PA and then the Fishman um, sound hole pickup I would run through my little, I have a small pedal board that's got a reverb and a compressor and a delay and a few things on it, you know. So I would run the um, sound hole pickup through the effects. So I would send two signals to the front of the house. And, oh, and cool. they were like a real nice complimentary sound. You know, the sound hole pickup has a little more mids to it, whereas the Taylor pickup is more like scooped a little bit, you know. So I think they kind of complement each other so yeah so i i kind of like the combination too this actually has a little microphone too but i wouldn't never really dialed in much of that you know but the rare earth comes with yeah. a little microphone yeah it comes with a little mic and a, and a balance control you know yeah yeah so you can balance it but it's a i think these are nice i mean years ago i used to use a sunrise pickup but this is these rare earths yeah. pickups are real nice uh, real flexible sound old pickups really nice yeah uh, but, beautiful um, sounds but anyway yeah and the the steel guitar, I was going to say, if you want, I'll plug oh, yeah, it in yeah. for a second. It's just, you know, the steel guitar, I was saying I have a bunch of vintage steel guitars and, from the 30s. And, and this one is my friend okay. down at Taylor Guitars, uh, David Judd, made this for me. And just out in his garage at home, you know, they don't, Taylor doesn't yeah. make steel guitars. But Yeah, that's the thing about steel guitars, they're a lot simpler, too, to build than the... Yes, it's, just, the, a ba it's just a log, basically, with a um, thing. But this is an interesting... Um, an interesting sounding yeah. uh, instrument that, uh, hang on a second, let me well, just... Is the, is the um, preamp knob down on the on the UAD thing? Um, sorry, you're talking about the volume? Because you turned on the volume over there, I think. Oh, I did. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Good eye. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you tastefully did a tasteful fade out on your song. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a steel guitar, and it's, um, it's a strange looking thing, but it's in what they call a B11 tuning. So it kind of gives you a seventh... On the bottom, and so then that's if, like a B7. Yeah, it's kind of a B7 nine yeah. plus eleven. If you you normally wouldn't oh, yeah. use that, but uh, but if you go up a step and play, um, if you go up a step and play the high strings, you get a sixth. That would be like a B sixth, and then B seven on the bottom. So um, you have a lot of lot of nice thing, uh, you know, possibilities. Like um, let's see. Mm -hmm. 
very beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm still working on my steel chops, but uh, it's it's fun instrument to play. And do you com- is that compressed at all? There's so much sustain. Oh, I probably do have some compression. It's probably just a little bit really hard too. I wasn't even paying attention. <laughs> oh, well, you, you know those things sustain so much too. Well, they do. Yeah, it's hard to tell how One much my, is compression. And how I much. think my best sounding steel is my oldest. It's a 1936 Rickenbacker, and it's got the horseshoe magnet pickup. And that thing is so fat sounding, just right into a board or right into the app. It is huge sounding. And I always think, you know, that pickup is like from 1936. It's like they haven't made a lot of progress in pickups since 1936 because that thing sounds great. Uh, I love the sacred steel players, especially the ones, the lap steel players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can sing like. All right. So back to our continuing Weird, Weird Al saga for mm-hmm. a second. What was it like when, I mean, Eat It blew up. I was there. I was a teenager, and I remember that video, and he was on the map. Yeah. (laughs) What was it like for you guys starting? Well, all of a sudden, for example, we were traveling around in nice tour buses, and we were getting a few limo rides here and there, and we were on some TV shows um, and, of course, playing bigger places, you know. And um, it it definitely was a big jump, you know, in, in the touring situation you know and all of a sudden i didn't have to you know move any gear myself there were people doing that for me (laughs) nice yeah and so over the years you know al's had a very a lot of bands have this sort of career peak where it's like black you know they get really big and then kind of drops off but with al it's just been kind of a slow ascension you know he just keeps kind of getting better and better and the he hasn't put out, we haven't put out a record for a while, but the last one was an actual Billboard number one, you know, on the pop charts. And um, our last tour was with a full orchestra every night, you know, playing, you know, <laughs> a mostly sold out tour with, you know, Red Rocks and, you know, big, huge venues. And it's just uh, over the top. It's, it's you know? amazing. And I looked at one of your recent set lists and you guys have a tour coming up in 22, right? I believe so. Yeah. Where it's what, that's what they tell me. <laughs> yeah. And this set list is just insane. It's like 23 of the most hilarious songs you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, what, what, what to you are your favorites to play or even just looking, what, which ones are the funniest to you that just still crack you up oh, if you can possibly choose? God, you know, I mean, st- the problem is when I'm playing I have to concentrate on the guitar playing and, you know, and I do yeah. a lot of singing on the show too, you know, but, but sometimes if I'm just playing and Al's singing, I have to be careful. I don't listen to him too, too hard because then I start listening to the lyrics, you know, and, 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 and I can lose my place cause I'll just start cracking up cause they are so well done and so funny, you know, uh, geez, as far as the, you know, the funniest, I don't know. I mean, there are so many great tunes. We used to do this one uh, called The Biggest Ball of Twine in Minnesota. And it, <laughs> it was, it's this long epic saga, you know, kind of like the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald about this family's journey to, to, you know, to all these various tourist destinations. But their ultimate destination was to see the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. Is and, that an original? or is that Yeah, a- it's an original, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, uh, you know, that one is just ridiculous i mean they're all well you did so many sessions right like you did like the famous like nirvana one smells like nirvana yeah. i mean and, i've uh, played on all the records uh, and the very first record that's just called weird al yankovic I, I didn't really play on that one that was mostly rick derringer but um i played you know 
Are you in the video? Do yeah. You, do you I'm explode in, in the eat it video? Yeah. See, that cracked me up. I was like, you know, you're doing the crazy guitar solo and then you start smoking it where the pick is going and then you just blow up. <laughs> I remember shooting that video. Um, it was funny because I had, I had a gig that night and... You know, and I kept telling him on the shoot, oh, you know, I got to be done by a certain time. But of course, those things, you know. Is so the, anyway, it I, could be a fifty dollar gig in front of two people, but <laughs> yeah. that feeling we have, we don't want to be late. We don't want to be that guy. So anyway, you know, eventually I blew up, and they shot the scene, and and um, of course I was like an hour late for my gig, and the club owner was like really angry, and it was like, but I was shooting a big video. He said, I don't care, you know. And it was like, oh, it was you know, it was one of those ridiculous moments but <laughs> oh that's fantastic um, so you were there that was um yeah i've i've been in a lot of the videos you know yeah. um, mo a good number of them over the years and um so what sessions stand out to you or from recording guitar oh, parts or man i mean i mean like it, jeopardy were you involved in that one yeah yeah I and that was on the great kin one mm -hmm. it's like it's almost more powerful than the original song. Some <laughs> well, way, you the know, way you guys did it and the way Al's, he... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the records do sound really good. I mean, they're, you know, and more and more nowadays, Al really, really tries to make them perfect. And That was an know, interesting one, how it kind of lifted the original. The original song almost became more of a big hit because of his incredible <laughs> parody of it. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. There's been so many great sessions and... Um, really fun tracks and, and a lot of you know Al, Al's records are, are usually half parodies and half originals and his originals are usually sort of stylistic parodies I guess pastiches of another band's style you know and yeah. and I remember you know sometimes I would have of course if the drummer and the bass player get it easy there's only one drum part on the record there's only one bass part but sometimes there's 12 guitar parts you know yeah. and it's like Al I gotta I got to map out all these parts and I'd make charts and I'd try to figure out, you know, all these little things that, you know, I'd listen under headphones and I would use like a little parametric EQ to try and bring the parts oh, yeah. out, you know. And I remember once we did a Bare Naked Ladies parody and I think when Al was talking yeah. to him a year later, he goes, I can't believe you guys got all those guitar parts on the record. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a compliment, you know. But, um, right. but I do a lot of, on the recent records, I do a lot of keyboard parts as well. Uh, oh. I, do every, I do almost everything here in my studio. So you're really, because I mean, obviously a lot of recent records have a lot more hip hop kind of stuff. Exactly. Not as less, guitar heavy. Less guitar, yes. And, but yeah. are you, you're integral in, in doing Yeah, that yeah. I've done a lot of the parts on, you know, white and nerdy and all that stuff. You know, I'll do a lot One of those of tracks. One of the funniest videos of all time. I'll do a lot of those tracks here <laughs> and then I bring them over on a hard drive or, you know, send yeah. them over, email them over and to the mix session. And then they'll line it all up. And, you know, um, I mean, there's some of them, it's a very efficient way of working, you know, because, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of need for interpretation. If you're, if you're copying something, it's like, okay, we'll just yeah. copy it, you know? And, um, but sometimes it's difficult, you know, sometimes there's a lot of parts and it's like an orchestration that you have to, you know, there, there've been a few tracks where I've had yeah. to really do some, kind of almost sonic detective work, you know, with the, especially with the synthesizer parts, because there's all kinds of synths out there and samplers, and and so you've got to figure out how they got that sound, you know, and I've just yeah, started something. using this, and then I've started doing some basically sound design, you know, tweaking patches and everything to, you know, to to try and approximate the sound. And I remember on one track there was a some backwards guitar thing and it was like you know i just well i grabbed that part and then i reversed it so it was forwards 
then I could figure out what it was, and I played it. It was like two guitars yeah. in unison or in harmony, and then I played it and then reversed it, and sure enough, it sounded exactly right. <laughs> uh, forensic guitar track <laughs> yeah, recreation. Exactly. <laughs> and tell us a little bit more about Al himself. Obviously, I'm thinking he's a really nice guy. He's obviously very loyal. Yeah. I'm he's sure a he's very, good very to his nice band, guy. But, but what else about him that you know? Well, or, um, or, you know, he has a degree in architecture, which most people don't know. You know, he went to Cal Poly up, up there in San Luis Obispo. And, you know, and course, their most famous graduate is <laughs> Weird Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and uh, no, he's, he's a great guy to work for. And he's, um, he's a fan of my stuff, my music too. You know, he spreads that around. And, and, um, Great guy to work for and, you know, really smart. I mean, I, I, you know, when I first auditioned for Al um, and I started learning the tunes that he, I wanted to, to audition for, I mean, I was listening to the lyrics and thinking, you know, these are, there were parodies, but they were like well-crafted. I mean, oh, it's like, true. wow, this is, you know, there's no, yeah. there's no weak part of that lyric, you know, it is solid, you know, and so he, he his lyrics are, are really well thought out and, and his his, his, he's got a unique sense of humor. I mean, I nowadays you see a lot of people imitating Al. At least his, he has a cer some certain oh, yeah. comedic devices that are really all his own, and I see a lot of people imitating them nowadays. So he's, uh, you know, he's yeah. a kind of a trailblazer in a lot of ways. Um, Ever have any like true Spinal Tap moments on stage where even I guess that it would just be even more funniness <laughs> exactly. if it happened? But <laughs> anything well, anything can happen. You know, I mean. But you're right. If there is a mistake, it can just be funny, you know. And we've, you know, uh, obviously over the years there have been crazy things. I, I, God, I remember, you know, I mean, sometimes I'd be playing a solo and then all of a sudden he'd come over and spray me with silly string. And all of a sudden it's like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> <laughs> that stuff is toxic. <laughs> years ago we used to have, he, he used to do this bit where he was be talking to the audience, this like, very heartfelt thing and, you know, the, I forget what his spiel was, but the key, meanwhile, the keyboard player would be playing some sort of light kind of jazz piano behind it, you know, very nice. But then Al, Al's talking, you know, the keyboard player is like, starts just going off on his own, you know, and Al looks over at him and like, hey, man, you know, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> calm down a bit. And he started again. Because after about three rounds of that, Al just walks over and <laughs> get this starter pistol of course nowadays it would not be too cool but he had the starter pistol and he just pulls him and shoots him and he falls back onto a that's you know? hilarious it's, it's like you see the flash of the muzzle and everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah nowadays i don't think it'd be too cool but that was a long time ago when i guess it oh, was that might, i'd be nervous <laughs> i mean i know it's just a prop but every night is that ruben yeah ruben yeah ruben, ruben Valtier, yeah, my, yeah. Our, our keeper player in my band, uh, Jefferson Starship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chris Smith. Are they He's, friends? They're friends, yeah. yeah they just yeah. had lunch the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ruben lives up in Sonoma County nowadays. He used to live yeah. here in L.A. But but anyway, there have been lots of moments and over the years. I mean, you know, I could, I certainly could write a book about, about all yeah. the, the escapades and crazy things on stage. And, oh, my God. we've. I remember, you know. We used to do a lot, have to do a lot of costume changes, and every once in a while, somebody would come out. One person would come out in the wrong costume. <laughs> of course, that's really funny, you know. <laughs> and I think one show we intentionally just used all the wrong costumes for every, you know, even now we just put on all the wrong costumes for every song. <laughs> that's great. 
Well, <laughs> quick shout out to Fernando Perdomo. Who yes, thank you, Fernando, for introducing and us. And did you want to show us this? Yes, uh, I, I just thought it Moog might be guitar? interesting. To- yes, I remember when that guitar came through the Guitar Player Magazine offices in like 2005 or something. Mm-hmm. So that's about when it came out or something. Probably, yeah. That's about, sounds about right. I always love the way it looked too. Like those pickups are a cool shape, kind of like parallelograms. Yeah, yeah, they are very interesting. It's a um, so this guitar. It's a, it works as a normal electric guitar, but it also has a couple of magnets, electromagnets built into it. And these magnets are placed kind of you know, one near the bridge and one near the neck. And uh, yeah, there he is. So you can see it's just a normal electric guitar. Normal electric guitar until you turn the power up. Now this power knob gives you, it it powers the magnet. So you can adjust the amount of power. If I turn it up pretty high, you'll see that now this chord is. It's not gonna stop, you know? Now what's really cool is there's a pedal down here, and what this pedal does is it, it, it switches the amount of pull between the two magnets. So you got two magnets, and with the pedal up, it's going to have the neck magnet pulling more, and with the pedal down, it's going to have the bridge. And so what it does is it, it changes the harmonics, you know. So now if I hit a chord, I move the pedal. So you hear the harmonics change, you know, you change the harmonics. So, you know, and you can also use it soloing, you know, you can be like, if you want to just play a solo and just sustain a note. So it's like clean feedback. So, you know, essentially, essentially, it's you can use it as pads, um, you know, just any kind of pad sound. So I often, all my records will use this instead of a keyboard pad because it's a little more organic and it's it's always different, you know, every time you play it, the notes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and it's probably, I can't imagine they're still in production. No, they only made them for a few years, and I think they even made a more sophisticated one. This one actually does have a Moog, a little filter in it that gives a bit of a wah sound, like a Moog filter. I don't use it that much, but, but, um, so it's essentially, it's also got a piezo output, you know, so I think, actually, I think I'm on the piezo output. 
Well, that's the pickup, the regular pickup. And then there's piezo, which is a little more acoustic. So you can kind of get an acoustic version. So it's very, you know, versatile instrument and... Um, really cool. Well, yeah. You, you obviously play a lot of pretty music, and, and but I love that you don't give in to the temptation to be totally diatonic all the time. You really <laughs> put in, like, yeah, yeah. surprising harmonic shifts in the song, or mm -hmm. you might switch scales halfway through. Or, yeah, a little, you know, surprises are always good, you know, um, and sometimes I like to get into some different, you know, kind of scale areas as opposed to you know, just regular diatonic yeah. stuff, you know. Um, different different kinds of scales are, are, are fun to play with. Um, I'm not really a jazz player, but I like, you know, I, I like to noodle around on jazz yeah. by myself, you know, because I've never actually had a jazz gig, you know, where you have to like know all the standards, you know. Oh, yeah. And even though I'd, I'd love to one day, but, you know, but I love, you know, playing jazz. And, and so I'm almost thinking of like, it's almost like a classical kind of stuff, too, where you, where you pull chords from other yeah. keys to get in there, too. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, modern. sometimes I like to use a lot of like three note voicings, kind of like sort of a Bach type stuff where you, you know, just any kind of, for example, like notes like these yeah. first, fourth and third strings, you can do things like you can a million combinations on those three strings. Yeah, you get an open voice. Yes. Just like There's a million possibilities. But you you know those kind of just three note chords as opposed to having um always playing lots of notes in the chords, sometimes just two or three notes is all you need, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's fun, but anyway, this thing is great, and I, I definitely want you to try it. But you'll, yeah. you know, when you're, whenever you want, just come over here and just use the pedal. You got to use the pedal because that's the, that's the cool thing, sweeping the harmonics on it. All know. right, let me try it right now. Yeah. Okay. And then, you sweep the pedal. I'll, I'll sweep the pedal. Good idea. Yeah. Okay, I'll put it on regular guitar, regular pickup, and just play anything you want, and I'll sweep the pedal, and then we'll just go into outer space. <laughs> Can you sweep it over? Kind of, kind yeah. of. So it's not going to filter sweep like a filter sweep. It is. It's got to sustain a little bit first, but you know, it mostly works on sustained stuff. You know, we're supposed to be interview interviewing right now, but I'm having too much fun. 
of course, if you run that to some effects, you know, like, yep. you know, various kinds of modulation stuff, I mean, it's... Or a Marshall full stack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could be pretty serious, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, awesome. Well, well, here, just, just plug it into this. Oh, so yeah, I was going to say, you have the Axefex 3 happening here with the... <laughs> I gotta stay on I gotta stay on top of the cutting edge, the bleeding edge. Now you got some sustain there, oh, yeah. So why don't I give this guitar back to you? You wanna show us some uh, distortion with the Yeah, um, I'll just you know, I, don't, I haven't really experimented too much with this axe effects, but there there are some crazy, you know, presets uh, in, axe, in all these kind of instruments, uh, axe effects and stuff. Um, so yeah, does this one uh, sample yes, amps yes. too? Like maybe yes. the way that a Kemper does? It does, yeah. And I want to sample that 59 Deluxe one of these days soon. Yeah. <laughs> I think sounds great. <laughs> um, Got the old school patch bay. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Those little mini chords. TT patch bay. So this is like some kind of plexi. So it's just a kind of a big crunchy sound, and then if I add if I add the um, sustaining into it, you know, let's see what happens. It's kind of like you know feedback, amp feedback. Love that stuff. To me, that just sounds beautiful. <laughs> Very yeah, cool, man. Yep. I I don't really play play much with the uh mo guitar into into you know distortion but it's pretty cool oh man that's that's amazing i mean you're you're getting this the sound of like you know modern hendrix van halen kind of stuff at literally talking volume we can talk over (laughs) it that's right Well, you know, I, I've been using these Axe Effects units. Um, of course, a lot of people are using Kempers, which are amazing, too. Um, for a number of years, I had used um, software-based, you know, things like guitar rig, native instruments, guitar rig, and stuff. But I never found them good enough to use live. When Axe Effects came out, when I first got, I think I got an Axe Effects 2, and I started playing with it. And um, I started using it live because we were using in-ear monitors, right? Yeah. So it just goes directly out of the XLR stereo right to the to the console. Yeah. And it just sounded, you know, I felt really comfortable. I felt really felt like I was playing through an amp, you know. And um Do you have dummy cabinets up there to make it look yeah, like a rock? I do. Show? I have a and I and it's I have a beautiful Marshall cab that sits on stage. It's actually a great cab too, but nothing goes through it. It just sits there. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, where we are nowadays. But I tell you what, that thing um and of course, with a Weird Al gig, you know, you you know, there's so many styles and sounds that you got to play. That it's like really nice to have a unit that um, can get all these sounds. So when I tour with Al, I have the well, last tour was Axe Effects Two, 
And I just have a, like a six space rack. It has two of them because it's you know you have to have double everything when you tour and just in case. Yeah, and I, and the and the uh, foot controller MFC one hundred one, and I mean even with one patch, if I just select one patch, I can get a million variations on that one patch just by different presets within that patch. Yeah, and you know the way you hold the foot switch down or yeah, if I if I you know click on a uh, you know hundred watt Marshall, then it's got all these different scenes. You know, so it's a the straight. 100 watt Marshall dry. The next one is like a little bit of a delay on it, and one's got some modulation. This one, the next one's got a overdrive with a bunch of delay, and all within that one patch. And the way I have my usually yeah. have these set up is I can I can hit 15 patches immediately, but every patch has an alternate patch too. So that really there's 30 different patches available on the board without going to another bank. So 30 patches, and then yeah. within each patch. If you hit this reveal button, then you've got all the scenes within that patch. So it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, kind of not going to run out of possibilities. <laughs> and uh, or do you get the full rack mojo? I mean, it's always going to be different with in ears, but yeah. But you are you getting the, the feeling? It, feel, with it feels ears? pretty good, you know. I mean, I don't feel the subsonic, you know, kind of thing against your pant legs type of thing, you know. But um, but you know, yeah. my the sound monitor engineer said, well, if you want that, we can put a sub up there, and you can. You know, yeah, you feel can. that if you want. Well, they give the church guys the it's the pad that has a, the drivers underneath yes. their feet. <laughs> yes, under exactly, yeah. So you know, you could have that if you wanted, but you know, where I am on stage, I'm pretty close to the drums. Um, thankful I have the in ear that saves my hearing. But um, I don't know. I always feel enough ambient low end from the PA that everything just sounds big, you know. And yeah, yeah I have no problems at all um, with it. I thought I might, but after a you know. Well, it helps being with a super pro band, pro engineers. You probably have audience mics yeah, that are audience so mics. So you're hearing yeah. the house too, so it doesn't right. sound right. You have you have to have the audience mics, otherwise you feel like nobody's enjoying it yeah. <laughs> after the song. It's like dead silence. Like oh my god, they hate us. <laughs> so you have to have the audience mics, and and I think a monitor engineer kind of you know when you go off stage for the encore, I think he kind of pumps those mics up a little bit just to make it more exciting. You know, get back out here, get back out here. <laughs> but um. It, it's very, very comfortable, um, you know, very little amount of gear. You know, like I say, one six-space rack and my pedal board, you know, and yeah. guitars. And it's, you know, whereas years ago I used to have, you know, back in the day when you had racks and preamps and all this stuff, and it was so hard to keep oh, yeah. it going because, you know, yeah. one little connection gets out from traveling, and then all of a sudden you got to troubleshoot it, and, you know, it was it sounded great. You know, I used to have a nice setup with a yeah. couple of stereo boogie cabs and, three different preamps and power amp and effects and you know it was all very sophisticated but and it was great but man i i like the simplicity of this you know and i carry around a spare but i never had to go to the spare you know the, the way it's runs is that both are running at the same time oh uh, wow with the same because they're midi together with the patches are cloned you know so they're basically running at the same time so if anything happened you know he would just yeah. pull up the other one you know on the board you know just so they're both Do you ever have any fears of playing like a, I guess you'd have fans and stuff, but like a really hot gig outside where it's like 105 or something? Or? We've had that, yeah. They have to, you know, they keep everything covered up with those Mylar sheets. Because yeah. if it's an outdoor stage and the sun is beating down all day and that equipment is on, it'll burn up, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's my, I heard a story, I don't know if it's true, that there are some bands that couldn't play at Coachella one day because it was so hot that they're, 
gear laptops with, weren't ready. Yeah, well, especially if you're using laptops. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, um, you got to keep things cool, and I, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there's ways around it, you know, fans and everything. But I know that our guys on the sunny days put these mylar right. sheets out over everything. You know, they cover everything up, just all the amps, racks, guitars, everything. They just cover everything with mylar. And we've got a great crew, though. They just yeah, and you probably have the full-on best in-ears you can get. I would imagine custom molded. Yeah, they're nice. Yeah, the yeah. J and H. I think they're the best. They each each driver has each earpiece has six drivers six wow yeah they're um i think it's jnh is the people who yeah. developed in-ears from the beginning but um you know i and, and we all have two pairs of two sets of them because in case you know there's a there's a one goes out you got a spare you know i would double everything yeah, that's you know? wild yeah i mean misha Mansour from periphery was on here talking about i mean those are so precious he did a stage dive out into the audience in japan and, and you know the cables coming out he lost his ears out in the crowd <laughs> oh and they got it back at the end of the show. Someone, they said, hey, does anyone have them? <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, those are expensive. Those things are so expensive, yeah. yeah. But um, we carry, you know, I, I have, I usually, I often use this Tom Anderson electric here. This, you know, yeah. it's like a Strat style with a Floyd Rose. And then I've got another one similar, but it doesn't, it has a regular tremolo. Yeah. And then I've also got a Tele that he made as well. So those are like my main electrics on the tour, and then um, then sometimes I use a baritone electric on one song, and, and depending on the set, what we're gonna do, you know. Um, this next tour, yeah. you know, we did a tour a few years ago that was, was called the um, Ridiculously Self-Indulgent Ill-Advised Vanity Tour. <laughs> and what it was, and I thought it was ill-advised at first, You'd have but- extra big laminist, all, <laughs> all those words on there. Well, what it was was a, a tour where we weren't going to do anything he was famous for. No parodies. All his originals. You know, and I thought, oh, my God, nobody's going to come. And you know, they booked smaller venues for it. But, you know, it turns out it was super successful. But what we did for the tour was every night the set list was different. There was not a single set list that was the same every night. You know, it was different variations. Yeah. But just so for the, for the tour, we learned 60 songs so that he could switch them out a lot, you know. Some songs were hev- more heavily weighted, so they'd be in more set lists. Some songs would only be every, you know, once a week or something. And yeah. then as part of the encore, you know, so that was quite a bit of work, just learning 60 songs, including, like I say, a lot of vocals. And and, and then for the encore, as part of the encore, we would do a straight cover every night. Just like, no parody, yeah. just straight cover. And every night was a different cover. So yeah. we learned there were seventy-seven shows. So in in addition to the sixty songs, we learned another 77, 77 original. Uh, I mean covers. For, you know, so we learned one hundred and thirty-seven songs for the tour. <laughs> yeah, you're you're ready, you're ready to be on the Voice now. That's yeah. what those guys have to do. Like uh, yeah. Dory Lobel. And well, we yeah we would um, essentially Derrico. we would rehearse every day and we would rehearse the song for that evening and we would yeah. rehearse the song for the next evening. So each song got two rehearsals, That's but smart. that was you know vocals and everything, and you have to do your homework. I mean, some of them were not yeah. were pretty complicated, you know. And um, of course, he wasn't luckily not doing any Alan Holdsworth or anything like oh, that. Yeah. But, well, uh, but, it's nice if it's organized. The thing is, when yeah. they're like, okay, it's a t- ten minutes before showtime, I think and this is what we're gonna do. Yeah, it's right. Like, yeah. Oh. So anyway, it was. Um, I think that's what he's. We might be doing on this next tour. I'm not totally sure, but it's. Um, you know, it's a lot of. Um, a lot of work, but I thought, well, it's good for the brain. Yeah. And also, you know, what was interesting is like, there were two, there were old tunes that I had probably learned when I was sixteen, you know. And it's like, oh yeah, I know that. But then, you know, I didn't learn it really right when I was sixteen, you know. So oh, for yeah. this, it was like, 
oh, I get to learn this Hendrix song, but I get to learn it actually right, you know, learn it really right, you know, compared to what I was used to playing oh, when yeah. I was 16, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've got more decades of transcribing. You become a better transcriber. Like, hey, one little thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we, um, so you know, I, I, the end result was like it was really fun, um, and it was you know it's good for your brain to keep learning stuff all the time, and um, and it was the you know I'll have to I'll give you a link to it it's on YouTube. He did a little a video that's like a few seconds of every cover. It's called Weird Al seventy seven covers. And it's hilarious because the range goes from, I mean, goes from punk to metal to country, Elvis to, you know, anything yeah. you can think of. Polkas. I mean, it's all over the map. Almost all really recognizable stuff, you know, but cool. everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And we got, we got some good coverage in Rolling Stone, too, on that because they were at a couple of the shows and, and um, you know, really dug the covers. You know? Well, everybody loves Al, right? As yeah. As far as I can tell. I think so. Yeah. Including, I mean, he always, as far as I know, seeks approval from these uh, mega celebrities when he's going to parody yes. their tune. And does have a, any of them shown up backstage after the show? You know, um, I believe so. Uh, God, I'm trying to think of who now. Um, I'm sure some of the bare naked ladies were at our, one of our shows when we toured Canada. Um, but I know there's <laughs> been more. I just can't think. Um, I'm all this on this cover on this tour where we did the covers we had one night we played classical gas and mason williams was in the audience so we ended oh, up yeah. hanging out with him after the show oh, yeah we just ran into him up that must be in oregon eugene yeah he yeah, lives yeah. in eugene yeah i think it's eugene yeah yeah or right outside yeah, yeah, yeah i remember we went out to a bar afterwards and hung out with him it was a lot of fun but um yeah i'll always ask permission you know um even though legally i guess you don't have to but oh yeah he doesn't want to do it if there's bad blood you know he wants everybody to be happy you know and and you know, even Kurt Cobain, he spoke with Kurt Cobain on the phone, and no way got permission to yeah, to do to do "Smells Like Nirvana." And um, I think Kurt even wrote about Al in his diary. I think there's a section, a page in his diaries where he was writing about Weird Al. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, you're from Canada originally, right? Yeah, did you like yeah. Did you like doing? The Green Day cover, Canadian Idiot, <laughs> or Green Day parody? Well, you know, when he told me he was doing Canadian Idiot, it was like, what? You know, but then I started listening to the lyrics, and it's really actually a very, it's a hilarious lyric, but it's actually quite pro-Canada, you know, <laughs> but it's, but it's oh, yeah. oh my God, it's hilarious. But that was a fun one to play, I mean, that's a great one to play live, because I tend to like the rock stuff better when, I, you know, when the Weird Al shows, the, the rockier it is, the heavier it is, the more I like it generally, you know, so I like kind of the, the heavier rock stuff, you know. Yeah. Anywhere from rock to metal is, you know, what what's, but it's it's fun to play all of it. But I kind of like, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Before I ever knew your name, I always thought that would be an absolute dream gig. And then when I learned more about you, it's, it's uh, and how dedicated he is to you and. Yeah, he's Al's. Al's great. We, going we've on forty a, years, it's more of a dream gig than I could have imagined. Yeah, it, it's enabled me to. Um, uh, you know, have my own career too, because sometimes the years we don't tour, like, you know, this year or even yeah. in normal times, non, you know, without COVID, there'll be maybe a year or maybe even two where we don't do any touring. And it's been, been fine, you know, because I've been able to pursue other stuff like, you know, writing for TV and film and, um, and then of course my own, you know, oh, yeah. slack key career and everything. So Winning Grammys. <laughs> well, your other one was nominated. Yeah, How? yeah. And that was like, Peaceful Island, or Mo, yeah, Moku Maluhia, Peaceful Island, yeah. These all these stuff are so beautiful. Go on Spotify, people, wherever you can. 
to listen. <laughs> I, I've got a couple CDs that you're giving me, which I'm really stoked about. Um, how do you, I mean, did you submit your record for the Grammys? I know you didn't yeah. publicize it or anything. but Yeah, basically, um, I mean, you have to submit it. I mean, if you're a member, a Narrows member, I've been a, a member since the early days of Al because I think, I think Rick Derringer signed me up because he was a, um, a governor at the time or something. And, um, of course, you know, the more people you have <laughs> to vote, you know, for, the, for your artists, yeah. the better. So I, I joined way back in the 80s. But, you know, I, I put out quite a few CDs before I ever considered submitting them, you know. And it was like, after all, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could, I'm a yeah. member, I could submit the record. I didn't even think about it, I guess, you know. But I um, started submitting them. And, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a process you go through. And and uh, you, you submit in a certain category or several categories or something like that. And then they, sometimes they move it. I think my, my Guitar Stories record from a few years ago, I had submitted it into some kind of like contemporary instrumental, I think it was called. And then they moved it to New Age, you know, so oh, yeah. all of a sudden it's in New Age. But, but yeah, you just submit it. And, um, you know, ideally, there's so many entries. I mean, it's more of an open field now because, you know, people, anybody can listen to anything, anytime. And, you know, it's easier now to, to get yeah. people to listen to it. But I think the main thing is just uh, getting, you know, voters to, to hear it. You know, that if yeah. you can get voters to hear it, then... And that's, you know, half of the battle. Because I'm in the old days, I remember I used to be kind of disillusioned because nobody would ever hear any of the tracks or very few of them. And people would just go down the list and go, oh, yeah, I like that guy. You know, vote for yeah. that guy. You know, just it was a yeah. popularity contest. And I remember, you know, Metallica had that iconic record that one year. And, you know, they got beat out by Jethro Tull. And it was just like, what? you got to be yeah. kidding me. I like Jethro Tull. But, I mean, that was an iconic record. And, yeah, you know, and it was like, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bunch of people who don't know Metallica, but they know Jethro Tull, and they're going to vote for who they right, know. It all depends. You know? So I think it's more um, democratic nowadays, and I think there's, uh, you know, more people ha have the opportunity to, to get recognized. Of course, certainly in the record business, because I'm just my own independent label, but, you know, I can get myself out there just myself, you know, without having somebody do it, you know. Well, you're recording world-class music right here it's pretty <laughs> impressive very very cool could you show us this uh, soprano guitar here oh, yeah, that thing yeah. is yeah the soprano guitar here i'll give you this one back you can yeah. i heard it on on uh, <laughs> at least at least one song which is Baramintingo. you know um actually i don't think it was i, I don't is think that it, a, is that a capo that was actually a capo that was um this guitar capo to the seventh fret i, I believe or fifth right. fret or something like that but it is on um, on this record, this new record um, that I just gave you. It's on uh, that record. Peaceful World. Yeah, that's it on um, a song called Cloud Forest. It's certainly on that one. But it's really an interesting sound. So the idea is uh, this thing is tuned almost an octave higher than a normal guitar. So it's tuned actually a seventh higher than a standard guitar. So... Um, normally I would have this, if this was, I have this set to like an open G tuning, but, um, it's in the key of F because it's, like I say, a seventh higher. So you get a real chimey, almost harpsichord type of sound. And you could play some really high versions of Keith Richards licks on that because it's the same tuning. Absolutely. <laughs> It's such a cool sound. <laughs> but anyway, you know, I use it for a lot of kind of open string 
So it's very, you know, chiming, almost harpsichord-like. Um, I was just thinking the other day, I was thinking earlier, I was like, man, I could, I should do a children's record. It'd be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Little tinkly nursery rhymes, you know. Or a chipmunk's record. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> beautiful. But yeah, it's really... Um, Sometimes I like to try um, this is like kind of like dad gad I don't use dad gad much but I I use this yeah. like one I call C gad which is it's D D um, D uh, D G A D on the top on the bottom it's C and G so you kind of have big four chord but you get some nice kind of yeah It's like a, almost like a heart, like almost, you know, people think, sometimes say, is that a harpsichord on the record? Is it? But it's it's nice. Um, I have a, also have a baritone guitar, which I love, oh, yeah. a baritone acoustic. And um, sometimes I would record, if I used my, what would normally be open G on the baritone, it would be an open D. And then sometimes I would record something in that um low open tuning and then I would take my regular guitar and I'd capo it on the seventh fret and then I would be an octave higher yeah, if I was using the same tuning. So then you can do some intertwining things and yeah. you can you can double parts and it just sounds huge. You know, I even did a song once where I doubled every note on the baritone with with the regular guitar, you know, capo on the seventh fret and it just sounded like one gigantic twelve string. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> And who but makes this? This is a this Veillette. Is a Veillette, yeah, Veillette, Veillette. Um, Veillette Joe Veillette, yeah, he, um, I heard about them. Actually, I saw one in a music store when I was on tour, and I called him, and I said, man, these, you know, I really would like to get one of these. And so they gave me a great deal on it, and it's got a built-in pickup, and, you know, and they make, um, I think this is like their cheaper version. It's still, you know, quite pricey, but they they make some handmade versions, too, that are you know, a few thousand yeah. bucks, but this one is just, I mean, it plays like a dream. I'll, I'll, you can play it in a second, and uh, it plays like a dream, and it's very in tune, um, just beautifully made, you know, really nice instrument. So oh, I've been really cool. happy with that. I've used it a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> very oh, cool. Great. Well, thanks for showing <laughs> yeah, that man. to me. Uh, quick shout out to Guitar Player Magazine, guitarplayer.com, for making this interview with Jim Kimo West happen guitar player play better sound better mahalo my brother <laughs> oh thank you so much man keep it alive to you 95 yeah let me check out that little thing real quick oh you know it's in a weird oh, tuning that's okay I'll, it's... just you can figure it out can i put it back in yeah yeah you can bring it up uh, bring it up a step and you'll be in 
bring this one up to D, it'll right. be an open G tuning. And you'll be in a, you'll be in Keith Richards tuning, man. Yeah, it was. I remember when I was a when I was a kid and I discovered that that Keith Richards was using open G on the, on a lot of those songs. You know, yeah. and once I did, it was like, oh, all of a sudden. I know. Yeah, it's, all of and, a sudden, it was like well, you know, revelation. It's like, oh my God, that's how he's doing it. Yeah. Know? Well, and when you realize that he's tuning the third to the juiciest, maybe it's a little flat yeah. from what the electronic tuner will tell you. Mm, yeah. Yeah, a little bit flat. Yeah, yeah. That makes any amp just sound like oh, yeah. this is the best amp ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's true because if you get it totally, they get that yeah. that third with the tuner right on it, just sounds a little doesn't sound quite right. This is so beautiful. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. But you can just get lost in that thing. I mean, it is just... Yeah, I used to have some... What the look? Oh, yeah. Right. It's kind of like the... Oh, yeah. It's kind of like the Sonny Lander thing, you know? Exactly, that's what I'm doing. Like, like... Yeah. Behind the harmonic. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, Sonny is my, I mean, he's my favorite slide player. I mean, that guy is just... Yeah. He's, he's awesome, man. See, they, they make a 12-string version. Most people buy the Most people buy the 12-string version. But the problem is when you hear it on a record, you just think it's a mandolin, you know? So... It's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't really need it to sound like a mandolin, but yeah. that sounds unique as a six string, you know, it's just like, because if you capoed up that high, I mean, you could never play if you capoed to the seventh, to the, you know, 10th fret, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, forget it, you know. This might be a sort of dream tropical island yeah. guitar. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you could use it like an ukulele if you wanted to, you know, you could, I could certainly um, tune it in, you know, standard tuning and play like ukulele chords and strums um, you know in Tahitian music they use that thing they call it Tahitian banjo have you ever seen those things it's like an ukulele different shape but it's a solid body and they string it with fishing line and these guys play these rhythms like super fast strumming I mean and they get like wow. four or five of them going at once you know and they're just like Tahitian oh my god it's like it's one of the most powerful rhythmic things oh, you man. Know, on, a, you know, on a stringed instrument you'll ever hear it's just like uh, and then you oftentimes they have drums going too but those I have to check that those out Tahitian ukuleles man I, I really want to get one um, there are people who make them you know make them here on the mainland and they're like I said there's a solid piece of wood sometimes they have like a carving of a turtle or something and, and they're just strung with essentially I mean in Tahiti they would use fishing line and they'd use all the same gauge even though the strings are tuned differently, they would just be one gauge of fishing line. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing you get that much sound out of it, but I know. Well, you don't. You don't think it's that loud because there's no sound box, you know. But you know, it's they play them hard and they the, play them loud. Get you know? the army going. This reminds me so much of Hawaii, which is my favorite place. Yeah. I've traveled a bit. You know, I haven't been everywhere. I've been to a bunch of places. Yeah, Hawaii Gosh. is still it for me. You know, I mean, I I, I started going there. It was um. I was. I think we were talking about this earlier. I was on tour with Al. It was the. It was the first. One of the first big tours after Eat It. Maybe not the first one, but. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was called the Stupid Tour because he had a record called Dare to Be Stupid. So we called it Stupid Tour. 
Yeah. And it was a long, you know, three months on the road. And a friend, a friend of mine who was on the tour, he was a tech actually. He, um, he said, "Hey, I'm going out to visit a friend out on Maui. You want to? You should come along. You should go hang out." You know, it's like I'd never been to Hawaii, so um, we did, and we flew direct to Maui, and then took the small plane and flew out to Hana, which is a really I don't know if you've ever been out there. I have the road to Hana. That's my, yeah. I'm, I'm, next time I'm there. Yeah, it's a very quiet, small little village, very rural, you know. And, uh, you know, that's where I first heard Slacky. You know, I heard that at the house where we were staying, they had the records, Gabby Pai Nui and Sonny Chillingworth and all kinds of Hawaiian music. But that yeah. Slacky was like, oh, man, that just, I just loved the sound of it, you know. And uh, I didn't even try to play it for a long time. I just liked to listen to it. I'd We'd have... It was vinyl back then and cassettes, you know, and yeah. so I'd play cassettes in the car, make make mixtapes and yeah. play them in the car on the long drive to the other side. It was like a two hour drive, you know, and um, and then this is a, a crazy story how it started. Though I, I had a friend come to visit who had um, from Florida, and he, we had been roommates years ago when I was uh, living living in Florida, and he was a chef. You know, so it's always nice to have a chef as your house guest. <laughs> so yeah. he came and visited us over there. This is when I was living over there, and um, we had, you know, we all had a great time. It was just fantastic. And then a couple weeks later, I found out he passed away. It was like he was only like twenty nine oh, yeah. or something, you know, and and it was just I was just devastated, you know, and you know, like you do sometimes, you you, you know, you pick up your guitar when you're, when you're for comfort, you know, and I just started playing around and I wrote a slack key song you know and I had never really sat down and studied it you know I understood okay you know open tunings and and I just kind of came up with this slack key tune and I you know I didn't really know any of the real conventions properly or anything but um I basically recorded it and I sent it to his his family you know his parents you know and I played it for a few of my other Hawaiian friends and they were like you know this is sounds really authentic you know it sounds really really good you should do more and I was like Okay, you know, so I started, I started, you know, researching other tunings and coming up with more of my own and writing tunes. And and I still at that point had not really studied the the repertoire. You know, I didn't really know any real standards or anything. And um, I was just kind of writing my own slacky songs, you know, and at some point, and I'd always record them, right, you know, so I wouldn't forget them. And at some point, somebody said, you got, you know, 12 songs, why don't you make a CD? And I literally had not even contemplated it. And it was like, really? And so I started putting it together. And another friend of mine said, I'll do the cover. And that yeah. became my first CD, Coconut Hat. And then when it came out, I, I got a distributor in Hawaii. And I had a record release party on Oahu and one in. And then I met Amazing. everybody. I met all the, you know, the, all of a sudden, Milton Lau's going, I want you to play at the Slack Key Festival in June. And, and all of a sudden, I had to play gigs. And I was yeah. I was used to playing rock and roll where I'm playing guitar and there's a singer, you know. Yeah. But the focus is not just me. So all of a sudden I had to play solo gigs. I was scared shitless, man. I <laughs> because, you know, the focus is on you and yeah. you're not even singing. You're just at that point I was just playing instrumental. And um, you know, a couple of gigs I had some other people back me up, but it was kind of nerve-wracking, and um, you know, and then I, then I had to play at the festival in front of like fifteen hundred people. But I, by that point, I was starting to get comfortable. <laughs> oh man! That's but crazy. you know, that was a big transition. If you if you're not the focus of attention, you know, and that was my comfort zone, being sort of the the Keith Richards to the Mick Jagger, you know, kind of thing. Oh, yeah. But then all of a sudden, having to just 
entertain everybody yourself you know became like oh this is yeah you gotta <laughs> this get a good sound and everything and yeah i mean you gotta and you gotta feel comfortable switching tunings and stuff and, you, and what you have to learn to do and i can do this now easily while i'm changing tunings i'm just telling stories you know yeah, yeah. so i'm telling a story while i'm retuning and it all works out fine. I heard Jackson you know? Brown do that once. I, I, I was, it struck me. This guy's, <laughs> this guy's really good at changing tunes. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're traveling. You know, if I travel to, to Maui or somewhere like that, I just bring one guitar. So it's like, and you got to yeah. structure your set, you know. Yeah. Structure your set so that, you know, you don't have to keep switching too much, you know. And, you know, I was over there in January because, you know, I play this. We have a big slack key festival in L.A., down Redondo Beach, and it's been going for like 13 years. Oh wow! And I've played every year except the year that, except 2020, because that's it's in January, so that's when I was on the guitar tour. But um, so this this year we couldn't do it because mm -hmm. of COVID, so we did it on Oahu because most of the guys are coming flying in from from there anyway. So the promoter yeah. and I flew over to Oahu, and we had an outdoor location, and we did a virtual live internet slack key festival. Yeah. And it was really well done, really. So, but I was there for like five days, and and the promoter Mitch is, you know, he's from Oahu, so we, you know, we were all over the place. He was showing me all his favorite restaurants and local food places, and we were, so cool. you know, sampling all the different malasadas, and you know, <laughs> he took me to this incredible shave ice place, and but yeah, uh, yeah. I know the one. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, man, it's Oahu. It's great. You know, I just don't get over there as much because I have this long connection with Maui, and then oh, yeah. I also have a connection with Kauai. So I'm actually going over to Kauai next month for a few days. But um, but I need to get back to Oahu and you know play some gigs. Maybe after you know things settle down with this pandemic stuff, I'll get start. I used to always connect through Oahu, you know, because now you can fly directly to. All the other islands, so I used to oftentimes yeah. connect. On I know. I went, there, man, I love it. One time I was on Lanai for a week. Oh, yeah. Lanai's cool. I've only been there once. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Yeah, but so there's like two hotels. Lanai used to be all pineapple back yeah, in the day. Right, right. It was all pineapple. And then as that faded away, they you know built those two, two resorts there. And um, I remember staying there at that one up on the top of the hill once. Yeah, that's where we were. But we also went to just could take the bus down the other one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, which is more of a modern one. And the diving around there is spectacular too. You know, oh, yeah. I, from what I hear, I haven't actually done it. But it is I, spectacular. But me and my girlfriend at the time got pulled out, which was scary. But oh, you know, just like a sucked like, out in a rip. You mean? Yeah. Well, just like two. But all of a sudden, the waves just picked up. Yeah. Oh yeah. For like it was like, and then being novices. Yeah. You think? Well, you don't realize that three minutes later is probably going to chill out. That was a terrifying three minutes because yeah. all of a sudden, the depth of water between us and those reefs, those reefs are brutal. That lava rock, oh, man, they yeah. will you shred you. Absolutely, yeah. And that's, uh, you're suddenly, lucky. like, we're going down to, like, a foot above the, you know, because the swells are going down. It's like, mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh. Well, you know, a lot of people get into trouble when they come to Hawaii in the ocean because they, a lot of people are from the Midwest where their only um, experience is the lake. And, you know waves come in sets you know you have you yeah. can walk out on the rocks and it's like oh it's not too bad 15 minutes later <clears throat> you can get swept right off the rocks i mean huge sets come in so it's you know uh. the ideally if you're gonna you know dive anywhere you or get in the water you sit and wait for 20 watch it for 20 minutes or so you know maybe 25 minutes just watch it you know and see what it does but mm, you can usually advice. tell 
Yeah. You know, a lot of times it, you can see where the waters come up, where the the rocks are wet, you know. But the one rule in Hawaii, you never take take your eyes off the ocean. You never turn your back on the ocean. You all, you know, and it's funny because when I was out in Hana, where I stay on the ocean there, it's um, it's a place I like to fish. But, you know, it's a really gnarly coast. I mean, it's all rugged lava, pounding yeah. waves. And if you fall in, you can't get out. There's no way to get That's out. That's so terrifying. There's no beach. There's nothing. You can't. You so just... ironic to die like that in paradise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really careful. And I usually, you know, it's better to go with somebody. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty careful. But, you know, I had these couple of reels with me. I, one was something, something I hadn't used for. It was stored at my brother's. And anyway... I was standing back pretty far. I had a pretty good location to where I think I was pretty safe, but I, and I was, I think if I would have got knocked down, I'd just be in a little tide pool there and not in the ocean. But, but I took my eyes off the ocean for a second to fiddle with this reel. It's like, what's wrong with this? Things not working. All of a sudden, I got completely drenched. I mean, the wave, yeah. big wave came up. I was completely soaked. And, uh, and I had my phone in my pocket, which was stupid because I should have had it in a Ziploc. And the phone worked fine, but when I went that night to charge it, it's like wouldn't charge because it says liquid detected, you know. Oh yeah. And for three days I couldn't charge my phone, so I was like, yeah. you know that. But I was—it was one of those things. I always tell people to never turn your back on the ocean, and yet I did it. You know, <laughs> it was like I was yeah, like, how stupid of me, man! I was like a stupid thing to do. I just lucky, you know, it wasn't worse, but yeah. But even local people get swept off the rocks, you know, and. um it's man, you got to be so careful. I just, I know this last because that happened to me in San Francisco once. I we got pounded by a wave once, mm -hmm. but at Ocean Beach or yeah, Ocean yeah. Beach. And then on that's the where my wife's from. She's, she's your mom lives there at Ocean Beach. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I used to live there. Well, you know, one good thing to one thing you know, I always tell people, especially if you're swimming somewhere you don't know, is just always wear fins. You know, because if you get caught in a rip, fins will help really help you get out. You know, if you don't oh, yeah. have fins, it's going to be almost, it could be impossible, you know. Um, oh, yeah. So if you have fins, you have a big advantage. You know, that's Get a uh, lot more power. Yeah, yeah, a lot more power. So I always recommend people, you know, just wear fins, if, even if you're just going swimming somewhere that, but but sit and watch it for a while because, you know, and then a lot of beaches too, like uh, Poly Holly and Kauai and stuff, a lot of them are, you know, it's pretty deep, right, right up to the shore. So it's just a shore break, you know. So they roll in and bang, you know. And those are like yeah. neck breakers, you know. And a lot of people don't know to dive through waves, you know. Like if a wave is yeah. coming and it's going to hit you, you don't let, let it. it hit you. You dive under it and then it'll go right over you and you just pop yeah. up on the other side. You know, you see surfers do it. I mean, you know, they, they duck dive under the wave. Because I know I've... So many times I've seen tourists out there in the waves, and they're like, "What do I do?" Boom, and they get hit, and then it is like, you know, and they, you know, they probably have a really bad taste in their mouth of Hawaii after that, and they probably never come back, you know. But, I mean, it's it's scary, but I've been saying for a long time they should just have a little video on the plane before you land, you know, just watch this video and little yeah, ocean, ocean safety thing. Ocean ABCs, and also in streams, you know, because a lot of everybody wants nowadays wants to swim in a waterfall, you know. And so, like, Al Maui, where my brother lives, he lives, his balcony overlooks a waterfall. And sometimes oh, wow. it's, sometimes it's not, it's barely running, just trickling. But what happens, it can be on a sunny day, because it's, it's a mountain, Haleakala is like 10,000 feet, right? So, 
if there's a big dump of rain on the top of the mountain, which usually is what happens, that's how it gets all the rain, the trade winds come in and drop the rain. So takes a while. So what happens if there's a big dump of rain on the top? It has to come down. So it comes down those wow, streams. I never thought about so this. a beautiful, idyllic, sunny day where the waterfalls just trickling can turn into this torrential flash flood that is literally big enough to take a full-size SUV and toss it to the ocean. I mean, that's how big it is. Wow. And it has happened because people, I know people, I, I knew a couple who got taught, who got swept to the ocean and never found in their SUV. They and, so you can drive that close to it to where? Well, they were driving over in a big rain. They were driving to their house, which is off the grid. And they were, there's a place where you have to go across the stream bed. It's almost always dry. And they probably thought, oh, it's only 18 inches of water. We can make it. And then they got stuck. And, and it was probably rising at that moment. And Wow. Yeah. So this, this, like this waterfall, my brother's is so loud. Sometimes you can't, you have to yell. I mean, you can hardly hear each other and the whole house is shaking <laughs> and it is like next to a giant waterfall. That's well, awesome. It ha in Honda, just a couple of years ago, some people, there's a, a place that we, it's called Wyoka pond. And it was a local place we used to go because it's, there's a big pond right next to the ocean. It's like a little beach. So it's, it's a stream. But it's created yeah. a pond, and the stream hardly ever runs. So it's a beautiful pond, sort of brackish saltwater, brackish pond, and there's these rocks where you can jump off, and the highest one's like 30 feet. It's like a rush, you know, jump off this into the, into the water. But now it's been in the tourist books, and so all the tourists have found it. So that happened. There were some people in there swimming, and just all of a sudden flash flood. And one person died, and the other one got swept out, but but lived. But you know, people don't know about that. You know, it's, man, you know, you got to never even. I would have never guessed. And so, whenever we, you know, what I always learned because I used to like to hike stream beds sometimes because you can hike, especially if it's you know if it's not running big, but you always look for your escape route yeah. because as soon as you hear that thunder, it's like oh, you got to have a place, you know. And sometimes wow. if you're in a place where there's no escape route, it's like Let's move. Let's get out of here real yeah, quick hustle. so we can hustle and get to them. Because you always want a, an out, you know. Interesting. But most people that come, they have no idea, you know. And I'm, I mean, I've seen that happen, and I've seen the, I've seen the, water come over the road. There was a guy who got swept out the ocean in his car. So water came over the road, you know, and just, just man. I mean, That's it's really, it's you know. Tropics don't mess around, man. Yeah, I mean it's 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 nature, and it's just uh, yeah, you gotta like, have mountains are intense. Mountains and ocean together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ten thousand yeah. foot mountain. Yeah. No joke, man. <laughs> yeah, and you know, on, on the Big Island, I mean that's Mount Akea. It's almost fourteen thousand feet. Wow. And it gets you know every year, every winter, it's all covered in snow on the top. Yeah, you know? it's I mean, like the it's Rocky like, Mountains. Yeah, I know it's that's seriously high mountain, you know, um, but. Unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, a lot of people just, tourists don't, they don't know. It's just, I mean, they just, I just wish there would be a way to, that people could be educated. And I always think, man, on the plane will be perfect, you know, because they're there. It's a, it's a captive audience, you know. Yeah. And just make it, you know, a, not an intimidating, scary video, just a nice video oh, with yeah. some, like, you know, some helpful. Oh, yeah, the plane people, yeah. are the, they're the, the airlines are the professionals at making a scary video not scary, like. I pulled this, up a couple this, of files. I wasn't sure what you wanted to hear, but I I found some old stuff that I did for a cartoon shows. Yeah, this was something I did for a cartoon show probably, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. Um, back when I didn't have as good a 
orchestral sample library, but there were just yeah. various. I don't even not even sure what these are, but it was a cartoon show, and it's you know it's got all these different characters. So it's you know the music, doing music for animation. It's like every few seconds the music changes. You know, so when oh. you listen to it as a piece of music, it's like, man, that is bizarre. You know, but when you see it to the picture. You know, it all works because there's certain things that are certain themes for certain characters. And hey, I'll just play it. You'll get an idea. It's like it. <laughs> this isn't even, this isn't the one I was going to play for you, but it's, hang on. <laughs> so you use your woodwinds for the, to bring in the little element of humor, you know. Here, I'll play this one. This one, I think I know this one. You got the dark kind of Danny Elfman thing going on here. You And then you know, at some point, it'll it'll go into like a you know this kind of you know polka beat with them with some you know twangy guitar or something you know, yeah. and then you know then there's you know kind of cornball Hawaiian music like. <laughs> That's my old Rickenbacker steel guitar. So you're playing that? Yeah. I'm playing everything on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's really. I did a bunch of that kind of music for the Universal's production music library, so it gets used on, you know. Yeah, yeah. Reality shows and all kinds of stuff, you know, little bits. I do a lot of that myself. Yeah, no, yeah. And this my is, friend Jono. This was something I did years ago for a Disney Channel thing. It was like a kind of a Green Dayish thing, you know. Just program drums, you know. This is <laughs> this is totally different. This is just a last thing for some variety. This is um, something I did for Weird Al. He had a TV show on CBS, and he had this little segment, cartoon segment in there. But it's based on um, a really old kind of style of cartoon music. Raven Scott, he wrote a lot of music. He didn't write it for cartoons, but it got used in a lot of old cartoons. He was just sort of an... Uh, uh, an interesting composer who um, very eccentric and he would record these records and a lot of the stuff ended up getting used in old cartoons but you'll hear it sort of attributed <laughs> it's all just samples you know
And then it goes into like this fast tempo. It's pretty hilarious. goes into this like <laughs> great <laughs> but this is very Raymond Scottish you know <laughs> man you stay busy <laughs> yeah a lot of work I did a bunch of this stuff I have a whole li library of this stuff <laughs> samples it's all samples except there is a little guitar in the bridge yeah, you know right <laughs> bravo now, i think that was a bad you know that was done in the probably in the 90s and i think i was using the roland sample library roland 760s back in the day and everybody used to use those things but but I really enjoy, you know, doing that kind of stuff, just writing all kinds of different music. But I've kind of gotten out of the, you know, the composing for TV and film stuff. I don't know. It's just it's very competitive and also just, you know, it used to be you would sort of work with a, a director. And now it's like you're working with a committee, you know, of people. And, yeah. Yeah. Man, oh, man. People write great stuff. And That's been fun, sure man. It was, yeah. it was, it's fun to talk story, man. And, Oh man, thanks. It's been. Great I need to. I need. Really I need to get a podcast so I can. I can interview you and learn more about you. <laughs> well, let's just listen to the other 140 episodes, and you'll know, get an idea. That's but aw uh, that's awesome that you've been doing it for so many years. That's incredible. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a. It's a. Has to, it's something that just had to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in person. Yeah. Guitar, fingers on strings. It's yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, but thank you for doing this, and uh, I learned so much today. And you should be at Guitar Player Magazine. You have depth of knowledge, and then and then all the Hawaii tips are great too. So uh. yeah, you know, if you ever you know want some slack key, you know, get into that thing. I can uh, you know, I can definitely show you some things that you'd get your fingers around real easy. You know, there's a certain not rules so much, but just certain conventions yeah. and certain little ornamentations and things that are really signature yeah. in slack key and. Um, you know that alternating bass. You know of yeah. where you you just get that steady. You know kind of groove going on the bass notes. Yeah. You know, and, and that one and turnaround. Five one, but yeah, two five. Well, two five one, like this. Um, Is there a name for that turnaround? I once asked Bill Tapia. He was a legendary ukulele player. It was I met him when he was ninety six. And yeah. I asked him, I said, Bill, where, where did that Hawaiian turnaround come from? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. It's always been there. You know? Yeah. And it's, you know, but I have heard similar things in, um, like, Django Reinhardt. Uh, I think I heard something like a, like a hot jazz thing where they did a, almost that exact same turnaround. Almost that exact same. 
same thing. Generally, the turnarounds, I mean, the turnarounds are always either 5-1 or 2-5-1. But then, of course, you can, you can get into all kinds of deviations. But a typical one, if I'm going from, I'm in open G, or it could be F sharp because right. I'm down a little bit. But um, a typical one is like starting with the open D string, and you're, on the, uh, you're doing a little hammer-on pull-off thing on the, on the top two strings. Right? Yeah. So... And that's sort of, even though it's a little dissonant, it's really sort of reminiscent. It's kind of like a, an easy version of 2-5-1, because if you did 2, you'd have that, yeah. that, that uh, exactly. C-sharp note in there. But So it almost implies 2-5-1. Two, two, I remember the classic one was... Now the two five one, the classic is like a little more difficult. That's great. Yeah. And then you've got like Sunny Chillingsworth one of them. Like Get into things like. Where did you get all those? Ah, oh, this made some of them up. But so more interesting. Like, it's almost like you know, up like Manhattan chord melody, but right. It's just a five with a you know sharpen the five on the chord, or you can get a little more. Like, and then if you get into the open string stuff that I do a lot, which isn't traditional, but or see, no, it's like. You just go endless into two five ones. Man, you know. I could watch you play two five ones all day. You could get a, <laughs> do a whole set of that.
It's called Hula Blues. That's amazing. Kind of a jazzier version. (laughs) That was fantastic. Thank you so much, Kimo. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Keep it alive till you're a million and five. Yeah, man. (laughs) No, the time is safe.